the Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. I'm Sam Javot and you're listening to the Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. Okay, welcome to the latest episode of the Sports Coaching Podcast with me, Sam Holmshaw. And a bit of a shaky start, but absolutely delighted to welcome Sam all the way over in Canada. This is the third time we've uh, started this now, but finally there, good to go. Wi-Fi connections all stable. So Sam, how are you? I'm really well, thanks. Thank you for having me, Sam. And thanks for persevering with some of the troubles. Um, looking forward to getting started. <laughs> yeah, chatting a bit about coaching and not Wi-Fi instead. Uh, but no, Sam, Sam, great to have you on. Uh, I know, obviously, like I've just mentioned, you're all the way over in Canada. So, you know, firstly, how's, how's everything been in this, this difficult time for everyone? I know coming towards the end of it now, but, but how's everything been for you? It's definitely been tricky. Um, it's been a lot of resources, a lot of help within the club to get things up and running. Um, obviously, grateful to see the players back on the pitch and with a bit of normality. We're in phase two of a three-phase approach from Ontario Soccer, so the governing body here in Ontario. So players are allowed to be back to a normalised training environment where they can compete and they can play games within the club. So we as a club are starting an internal games programme on the weekend. So just with teams that were already part of the club before obviously coronavirus hit. So um, we're obviously implementing contact tracing and ensuring that we've got all the relevant information when players are coming to the pitch. But it's definitely been, definitely been tough. There's been a lot of resources that have gone into it. Um, in regards to the amount of volunteers what we've had, all of our technical staff um, and obviously the players and the parents that are trusting us to run an efficient and safe programme. But to, to see the players back on the pitch, it, it, it's all worth it. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, yeah, you know, same for me, just getting back into it over here. It's been, uh, it's been fantastic to get back into coaching. So Sam, I think to, to start us off, I guess, do you want to give us a bit of an introduction about your background, uh, your, your coaching journey and what's led you to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So um, I started. I started coaching. I was. I spent a bit of time living in Australia. Um, so I started coaching there, um, and I got an. Op- I got opportunities because I was English. I'm certain of that. Um, so the accent sort of got me through the first couple of opportunities that I didn't deserve, um, but got me the opportunity to learn um, and coach. And I think that was one of the real positives for me when. When I started um, my undergraduate at Leeds Beckett, that obviously we've both been through, um, it was really important that I'd had a good foundation of coaching already. Um, it put me in good stead when it got to that point. Um, and upon coming back to the UK after spending some time um, in Australia, I coached with York City in the community. Um, so I worked, I worked with York City. For, for a period of time. Um, I worked with a private academy in York as well. Um, and then, then uh, sort of as it progressed, I became the, the head coach of the University of York women's program. Um, so I was there for two seasons and still two of my favorite seasons coaching. Uh, just tremendous opportunity for me to grow and learn uh, as a coach who'd only worked with youth players at that point. And it gave me a huge amount of development opportunities and the, the the players in the team were just phenomenal, um, and and players I still keep in touch with today. So um, I then at that opportunity, I had another opportunity um, to develop as a coach within Hull City's academy. So I worked as a youth development phase 
coach within predominantly with the U12s, but U13s as well at times. Again, another really interesting experience that gave me the opportunity to to better myself all alongside the undergraduate degree at Leeds Beckett and then the master's degree at Leeds Beckett in sport coaching, um, which was transformational for me. Um, and then my wife's Canadian, so I had no choice. It was going to happen sooner or later. Um, so I, we made the move over to Canada. My wife wanted to, to undertake her PhD and, and financing wise, it would have been tricky in, in the UK. Definitely. So, so we, um, so we made the move over and, uh, the first opportunity I got was to be a, an assistant coach at the university of Guelph within the men's program there. Um, which again, another really unique opportunity to work with, um, males at the adult level, which is a diff- bit of a different kettle of fish. Um, and obviously now in Canada. So the, the, the differences were, again, it was, it was very different and the facilities were phenomenal. The players were very professionalized, which obviously can, can vary from university to university in the UK, where some are extremely professionalized and some are, are running almost recreationally. And um, so that for me was, again, a unique, a unique scenario. Then the opportunity came up at the club that I'm at now, Waterloo United, um, so my current my current title is director of player and coach development, which has sort of grown throughout my time at the club. Um, and I have there's a technical director that's above me that oversees the club, and I, I oversee for the most part I oversee the U13s to U17s. Um, that tends to be where my main focus is, and then the coach development within the club as well. So that's sort of where where I am now. Um, but it's been a been a unique and interesting journey so far, and, and hopefully filled with more opportunities and, and different places when I go further on. Yeah, definitely. A really, uh, really, really interesting background and definitely something I'm looking towards myself upon finishing the Masters, uh, looking to head abroad and, and maybe work within some uh, university teams in America or Canada. So interested you know, to hear about your experience. Uh, but, you know, I've had a couple of, of Masters students on, particularly a few at Leeds Beckett. And obviously you're, is it four, four years back you completed it? Am I right? I think in 2017. 2017 yeah 2017 yeah so you know for you personally as a coach and sort of where you are now within your role how has that master's degree and and I guess the undergraduate degree as well how has that I guess impacted your coaching or impacted on your role now uh Matt just massively just like it I couldn't even I wouldn't be nowhere near where I am as a coach without it um I think I think the first thing the, the first and most important thing was it, it, it allowed me to be uncomfortable. It allowed me to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations, um, which obviously moving abroad and being in, in, in different contexts, going for interviews and so forth yeah. was extremely important. When I had a well-developed and well-defined um, technical, tactical, mental model, and I was going into clubs um, in Canada, that was the first thing that stood out. Um, and the first thing I did in Canada was I actually delivered my um the dissemination of data as a workshop um so i did it within the canadian sports institute in ontario and it's what landed me my job um because when i delivered it i didn't know at the time but someone from ontario soccer was there yeah. who uh, who I, i've sort of gr- i've really grown to like as well as a person outside of football but uh, he's, he's been a mentor as well um and he he basically reached out to the person that offered me the job at the time and said there's this guy that's come just just from england and he delivered this presentation and it was really well done so it was a great opportunity for me to <laughs> it got me the job it got me the job if i hadn't had that master's degree 
just the opportunity to deliver the workshop, it, it got me the job. But I think from a knowledge perspective, um, it gave me the opportunity to develop a well-defined mental model, which is obviously a Im really important thing. Um, but you, as a person, as a coach, as a, someone that loves football, um, you, you're going to have knowledge. Um, you're going to have things that you've learned throughout your education, throughout schooling, throughout secondary school, where, wherever, throughout your family, throughout your history within the game, throughout individual research that you've underdone, you've undertaken. Sorry, um, but what that what that gave me was the tools to unlock that tacit knowledge, um, to apply it in a structure and a framework, to then to deliver and develop. And it did give me it did give me that glass shattering moment of Wow, I don't know as much as I thought I knew about the sport that I've been watching since yeah. I was four, you know, and yeah. that was, I mean, my whole, my whole research, my whole master's degree um, applied coaching project was around the understanding and analyzing sport performance module, which I believe they're still running as part of the master's degree and they, yeah. they should run it forever because yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's quite uh, comical actually that you say that because Pretty, pretty confident that pretty much everyone this year in various sports said the same thing. No, you're right. It's such a such an interesting module in particular. But I'd, I'd absolutely agree with everything you've said there. I, you know, I, you are opened up to that thought of you don't know everything and there's still so much more to learn. And that's given me, I guess, developed me so much more than a coach. And I always try and personally think, what would I be like now? with a master's or if I'd have just gone down a different route. I don't know if you ever do the same, but I always try and think what would I've been like as a coach without being explored and, and thrown into this crazy journey that is a, that is a master's degree. It's, it's definitely a unique conversation piece because obviously if you looked at two different universes where you decided you just wanted to go down a complete coaching route, you still could have got to a place of this. Mm. Uh, I, don't th I, don't think, I don't think it's just the master's degree that will take you there. Um, me personally, I have like an just unwavering response to I, I need to understand the game in better demands. I need to understand my players. I think if I didn't have that about me, which can sometimes lead to a lot of stress and anxiety as well, um, that you want to continually be not only the best version of yourself for yourself, but for your players um, and, and for the journey you're going on, because there are plenty of wonderful coaches out there that haven't undertaken a master's degree that have found the opportunity to learn um, or undertake CPD outside of conventional manners and matters, whether it be moving to Spain for a year and going around and, and listening to different coaches. Um, there's been, there's been plenty of people that I've, I've come across that maybe have, have undertaken their coaching badges, their coaching licenses, but haven't had formalized educational opportunities in, in a bachelor's or, or, or master's situation that have, are really, really well versed on these concepts. Um, and I think, I, I think you could have got there. You could have got there without it, but it's given you the tools to get to where you want to be. Mm. And it's given you greater clarity on, on how you want to develop as a coach and, and what you need to further on from that from your own development because i certainly miss being in that arena of being with like-minded coaches and being with people that are so well versed in what they're trying to teach and, and what they're trying to explore with us because the the level of development that i had in that year alone on the master's degree was just so fast compared to where i'd been previously so if if, if coaches can get into that state of proximal development where they are feeling that uncertainty, but they're feeling safe to feel uncertain. 
it, it just grew me just unbe- an unbelievable amount. Um, and it was very applicable. Yeah. And I think that's where there's some misconceptions of sports coaching degrees. That it's like, well, it's not on the grass. It, it, it's, not, it's not this. It's not on the pitch. You're not actually coaching. Well, for one, there's obviously coaching practicums that you undertake. But every single assignment, every single assignment through every module on the master's degree was geared towards what I was doing within my coaching practice. Yeah, yeah. Which we know is extremely valid. And like I'm doing my UEFA A license at the minute with the Scottish FA and they're very much doing the same. You know, they're trying to give us opportunities to, to, to create a site. If we're undertaking an assignment, it shouldn't be an assignment for the assignment's sake. It should be something that you can go back to your club with and go, well, this is going to be applicable to me and my players later on down the line, because we just, there'd just be no point otherwise. So I think there's some, definitely some misconceptions there as uh, well. No, it's just theoretical and so forth. Yes. It has a theoretical base as it should to try and better understand why we do what we do, but it's very, very practical. And there were, I think a lot of people on within my cohort that probably had those misconceptions, but were brave enough to take the dive into the master's degree. And, and from my conversations with them, because my, like I said, mine was literally, my applied coaching project was an understanding and an Im- of the impact that that course had. So interviewing all those wonderful coaches throughout a variety of different sports, from equestrian to rugby to football, um, they all said very similar. They also very similar, impacted their work, they use it regularly, and it made them feel uncertain about their sport which gave them the opportunity to delve deeper away from the course, but also on the course into the demands of their sport and how they would best contextualize that for their players and their, their athletes. Yeah. Yeah. You, you make some really good points there. Uh, a lot of points I'd certainly agree with. Uh, yeah, no, certainly agree with you a lot there. And, you know, for me personally, it's, I, I definitely agree as well. You, you, you said there about, how much you develop within that one year. I look back to me at the end of third year to now, it's, it's unbelievable. And at the end of third year, you know yourself, I don't know if you did, but I thought I knew everything. And it's, it's an unbelievable journey, but, but you yeah, know, no, really, really, really interesting some, uh, stuff, Sam. Really, uh, really enjoyed getting a bit into your journey, but, but we'll move on to today's topic. So, you know, obviously, as, as you mentioned, you're in Canada coaching at the minute. So I thought an interesting one today would be to explore contextual differences in coaching capital politics and vision maybe getting into that side of playing philosophies as well the sports coaching podcast with sam holmshaw so you know obviously you've as you mentioned at the start you've had a wealth of experience around around the world really but you know in particular i guess from from canada in england you know what are from your perspective and what you've experienced what are the the differences between the football or the soccer culture between both of those countries? Tricky because there are a lot of similarities um, because there, and I can only really talk about Ontario within, because it's a massive, massive country. And obviously each province has, has their own guidelines and, but within Canada, soccer is bigger, bigger objectives. But I think some of, some of the similarities to begin with was it was quite a, I think there was quite a British culture within Ontario from, from my conversations with coaches that have come in a lot of, a lot of English and Scottish um, people have moved over in sort of the seventies and eighties and they'd had a big influence on that. And I think that can be positive and negative, you know, they they were, they were certainly, they were certainly trying to find themselves in regards to what does it mean to be a Canadian 
soccer player? What does it mean? What does Canada need? And I think that's been one of the things that they've done a really good job with to do an analysis of where they are, where they've been and where they want to go. And because there are lots of great attributes of Canada. And we talk about, if you talk about some of the social things, um, you know, sim symbolically, Canada works together. You know, Canada works together. They're, they're, they're people that would come together, lots of different, lots of different nationalities, lots of different um, beliefs, lots of different everything. But Canada is such a wonderful place in regards to when you come here, you're Canadian. When you come here, you're Canadian. You work together. You're here for Canada. doesn't matter where you've been. And they take all those cultural, which, again, would be a capital element if we're looking at Bourdieu's forms of, of capital. Yeah. We, we, we take all those cultural elements, and it could be from a very social side where it might be all the different foods that you could have and you can try and so forth. But they take all those cultural elements and go, well, what fits? What works within a Canadian model? Because we have so many different things that, that fit within that. So that's always exciting because it, there's a lot to offer within that. There's a lot of different cultures that come in with lots of different footballing thoughts um, that they want to bring to the table. So that, that for me is, is probably the, the, the biggest difference is that they are still trying to find themselves. They're still trying to find what it, what it means to go forwards as, as Canada. And they've got, these, they've got these ideas. I mean, and John Herbman, as the head coach of the, the men's national team at the minute, has been so open in regards to what his vision is, um, aligned with, with the national governing body, um, of Canada, the, the Canada soccer, but it's just been so open. Every Canadian coach could have logged in for multiple modules. I believe there was maybe eight or nine throughout this lockdown period where he went into every detail that he ever had created in regards to what, where, what they do, why they do, um, where they're going, what their vision is, um, how you can best align it to your culture and where you're working. Yeah. So there is a real, for me, again, that was a knowledge, a knowledge share of capital. Um, so when we're talking about an embodied state of knowledge that resides within us, we may have all these ideas and these concepts that we want to bring to life. And then you hear John Herman say, yeah, this is sort of what I want to do. And you go, oh, this is, this is incredible. The national team coaches is, is singing on the same hymn sheet as all of us. Um, or they might say something completely different. And then you're going, well, why was I doing that before? And hopefully that might change your thoughts and your, uh, and your conversations moving forward. So I think the openness, and I don't know if that's always been there. I've only been here for two and a half years, so I don't know if that's always been there. Um, but for me, the openness with the national team and the setup here and, and how they at least deliver to the clubs that are national licensed clubs, which um, the club that I work for is, it's been, it's been unbelievable. It's been unbelievable. And you can agree or this, you can agree or disagree, but the fact is that they're open and willing to share and they can share their capital. And obviously that should make you richer in what you can then share to your individuals, your players, your coaches. That for me, I, I wouldn't say that's it. Again, I think that's similar. I think, I think the FA had a lot of wonderful initiatives as well with the coach mentorship program, which I know has just been pushed to the wayside, which is a real shame. Um, but a lot of the support I got when I did my FA Youth Award, um, I, I think the FA's got some wonderful initiatives. And I know that Lise Beckett has worked extensively with the FA yeah. and the who, what, how um, and the English DNA. I mean, there's a lot from Lise Beckett within there. Um, so for me, there is a lot of wanting to share, willing to share, um, but Canada's smaller. Canada's smaller. So the amount of knowledge and information and sharing opportunities that I get with the likes of 
John Herdman and listening to him speak and getting this information. You've got Eric Tenlado, who's the U15 head coach and very open and willing to share, extremely knowledgeable. Um, you've got Joey Lombardi, who's a wonderful coach educator and wonderful coach who's, again, willing to share, now working in a club, but was with Canada Soccer before. Uh, Jason DeVos, who was a wonderful player, um, has tremendous experience on that front, but is an excellent leader for, for the, for the um, country in regards to what he's doing. And again, open and honest to share what their vision is. Um, so that's been, that I've just spoke for, for so long there, Sam, sorry, but it's just, it's, those, those are, I'd say those are the similarities. I think those are the similarities. It's a, it's a willing to share, but culturally, you know, Canada is, it's still, it, you know, it's a melting pot and there's, there's so many different cultures that come in all the time. And it's, it's like continually redefining and, and, and finding what it means to be Canadian, what it means to represent um, Canada and, and so forth. And where in England, there is a, obviously a, a deep enriched culture that, you know, when you hear, when you hear the you know, national anthem, when you're lit watching a game and it brings certain feelings to you and, and so on. Um, and I think that's changed as well. And I think, uh, again, with, with greater knowledge, whether because it's obviously symbolically like the reputation of England has a certain meaning and, and we should perform in tournaments. We should do this, should do that. We should get better coaches and that. Um, when we, when we look at that, I think it's important to understand that there was a time clearly when England went, this isn't working anymore. You know, Germany did it in 2000. Yeah. England did it later on yeah. um, where they go, this isn't working anymore. And all of a sudden the, for, for one, the, the ability level of the players has gone through the roof. Um, and we can just tell, I, I haven't got the facts and figures, but how many English players are now being moved abroad to some of the bigger clubs. Um, you just see Jude Bellingham obviously go to BBB yeah. and it's, it's wonderful to see. And that's a testament to the player, of course, but a testament to the system that when it's not working. Yeah. Because um, we will only see more and more English players develop, as I hope we will in Canada now see more Canadian players develop. Obviously, Alfonso Davies now at Bayern Munich is extremely important for the future of the country because now any young player, I mean, his, his story alone, what a terrific individual. But... Um, just any young player in Canada should hopefully now look at that and go, there is a pathway to this. And obviously with the Canadian Premier League starting and bearing in mind, if obviously with this won't go live today, but today is the start of their season. Um, they're playing in uh, Prince Edward Island. And, and so the Canadian Premier League has their second season starting today. Um, the two teams that are in the final uh, are playing. And again, a massive form of cultural capital being developed in front of our eyes, having their own professional league. So if you look at, when we talk about a cultural capital and even symbolic a little bit, you think of Canada, you think of ice hockey or they call it hockey, just hockey here. Um, but when we talk about professional teams, what sport now has the most professional teams and it's football or soccer. They now have the most professional teams in Canada. Yeah. So it's such a changing landscape um, that it's, it's almost, it's quite tricky to say what it is that, what is their capital? What does it bring to the table? I can, I can speak in more depth as some of the social capital it brings to play youth sport in Canada, um, because it is somewhat more expensive than the UK, because a lot of it is a pay to play system. Um, so you can certainly talk about that and what it means to the families as well, because it's a huge commitment from the families as it is in the UK when you're playing as part of an academy. You know, it's a huge, huge commitment for the family, but it can also develop other opportunities and other educational yeah. moments. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that is, uh, 
yeah, a, a really interesting insight. Uh, and, you know, it always interests me, you know, the whole idea of, of capitalism I've explored quite recently in the Understanding Expertise module. I presume you probably did that one as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's such an interesting ideology. And, you know, what I also think is interesting, and I guess just, you know, slightly moving on from, from what we've just discussed there is, you know, like a, a, a coach's perceived form of capital. So, you know, I was in America two years back uh, for three months, just a, a soccer coaching camp. Uh, and what I predominantly found, and at that time, at the age of 20, 21, to me going into trying to get into an academy, you know, going around junior football teams and such, you, to me, at that time, you were always perceived to be a good coach if you were a good player. And when I went to America, what I found was, oh, he's English. So he's clearly an exceptional coach. Mm. Now, that really interests me. And it's something I've done quite a lot of research in since the whole idea of, of capital. And, you know, myself now, I always, I guess, lean a bit more towards educational capital because that's probably where a bit more of my background's come in the last couple of years. But, you know, in terms of, of a coach's capital, is there any differences or, again, similarities in, the, in experiences there that, that, that you've, uh, you've been exposed to? I think very similar, very, very similar. I mean, yeah, definitely being English and, and having an accent of any sort, you know, uh, being European, it, yeah. it will get you certain capital. Um, and there's there's certain negative capital that can come along with it as well. Um, if that is such a thing, actually, I don't even know if that's a thing. Um, we'll say it is now. Board, you can do some more research on it. Um, so we, I think it's it's important it's important to understand that though because you don't want it to become an internal bias that you're always going well of course i'm going to get the role i'm going to get the opportunity and i can tell you as a you know i was very very confident that i was going to get a role in football here no no problem and it took three months of applying everywhere trying to create what i would say the social capital is and, and how important that was that bit is absolutely critical as a coach, especially in a smaller area. Um, because if you don't have that network um, and if you don't understand the, I say institutionalized state of the capital, whereas what does it mean in the area that you're in? So for me, Ontario at the minute, and for you, you I don't know where you live, Sam, but I'm guessing in Yorkshire at the minute. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's, I think it's important for you to understand what that looks like because whilst you may not want to change yourself for that reason or rationale, you need to understand what, what that means. So I know that in Ontario, with it being a small place, if, if you, if you perform poorly or if you, if you slip up or if you aren't a good coach, if you aren't willing to help and if you aren't doing the right things, that's it. Like that's it. So I, I think it's, it's important for you to understand that. Yeah. Um, because and it should be it should be like that everywhere it yeah. should be like that everywhere but it's very much in in that way um, obviously it's important that you have those material objects so from an objectified state of capital that you have the licenses you have the what might be called the coaching badges yeah. so that's still perceived as important um, I, I think from my conversations and again there's no research behind this comment but from my conversations I think it, it can mean different things for different people. Um, and 
I've had a lot of, I, I did the Canadian A license, um, which I finished last year, which was a really enriching experience. And Stu Neely, who's in charge of um, education in Canada, is doing a terrific job of reframing what it means to be a coach in Canada. And it, they're just re, sort of re-releasing or, or, or re-releasing um, sort of what that means now. Um, and it's really exciting. And again, it captures, and maybe we could, I can, once I've done a bit more research into that, I'd love to come back on and talk about that. Um, but it's, it's certainly, certainly good to see that there is an identity moving forwards within the culture that is Canada and where they need to go and where they've been in the past and what they've learned from that. Um, because that's really important because it's not always justified. It's not, and we've all met coaches that have certain degrees, certain courses and, and so forth that, that maybe maybe didn't deserve it, yeah. uh, and that's just okay to say as well. And there's and there's people that maybe should be on those courses um, that haven't had the opportunity yet, or are, are, are just you know they're two rungs down and they're almost getting there. That you're thinking, wow, that you know you're you're a level two coach, but you're already like this, and that, that's unbelievable. Yeah. So I think there is definitely a perceived a perceived importance, uh, and it is important. It is important to to go and do these courses. It is important to further your knowledge and your understanding it doesn't we won't make you a better coach on their own yeah um and you need to and i don't think i've ever been on a course that has said it must be done in this certain way mm -hmm. i don't think i've ever been on a course that has been or at least a course that i've really enjoyed where it's said that you know it might say this for your assessment this is how i want it to be seen but mm -hmm. this is how you can grow within that when you go mm -hmm. to your own environment and again the canadian a license was very similar to the experiences that I, I shared that I enjoyed about Leeds Beckett and now the Scottish course that I'm on, um, that the, the assessment was within my own club. You know, the assessment was within, you know, we, we filmed it, I sent it in, it was with my players. So it was what was going to resonate to my players. And when I had the conversation with the coach mentor, it was, well, and when I was sort of like, well, I wasn't too sure about this. I, the area size was a little bit small. I was going to get a lot of representative actions, but it was maybe not as realistic of the actions. And he goes, well, how did your players find it? You know, how did they enjoy it? Did did they did it develop the pictures for them in that environment? For and and it was all aligned back to my environment, which is what I really enjoyed. And then it gave us a good conversational piece. Um, so I think it's it's important that and obviously yeah, there there are ex players in Canada that that is perceived as important, and it is important. It is important to get the knowledge of ex-players that have a really rich understanding of um, potential performance anxiety, um, the performance state that they need to be in. And there's some wonderful, wonderful coaches that maybe haven't gone down the university route, but that are ex-players. And they've been able to find the opportunity to unlock the tacit knowledge, um, or, or maybe they already unlocked it, it within their playing days and within their playing state. Um, we've got to bear in mind, they've also had access to potentially some tremendous coaches yeah. as well throughout that. And, um, and also tremendous players that they may have had other conversations with that have tricked into something else. So they may have had a mental model or framework that had already been very, very well defined and developed. They didn't know was there um, to begin with. So once they start to unlock that, um, it, it starts to come to fruition again. So we've got some, like I mentioned in, in Canada, you have Jason DeVos who had a really excellent playing career in the UK um, and is, is now within um and obviously he's still got the, he's, he's gone through the UEFA courses and Canadian courses too. Um, but what wonderful insights it is to listen to him because I don't have those insights. Yeah. I don't have those insights at all. So I think it'd be very, very silly of, of me to be like, well, oh, I'm not going to listen to this or I'm not going to listen to that because a certain ex player may have got an opportunity that I didn't get. 
which we all know is a conversational piece that we could all bring up that oh, I said, well, he only played, well, he played a lot of time and that does mean something, that does come to something. So we can't just poo-poo that, but also we can't poo-poo the, the amount of information and knowledge that we've gained from coaching. I started coaching at 18 and I'm 27 now. So there's a lot of time that I've had within that, but it wasn't within the professional game up until I was working at Hull City in the academy and then the university. Um, so it's, it's different experiences and I hope I get those opportunities but I know when I get the opportunity to work in a first team environment professionally, I certainly would hope there's someone that's been playing professionally in my setup or working with someone that's in that setup so I can continually learn from them. Yeah, and get that knowledge. Yeah. The Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. Yeah, um, you know, re- really fascinating just to listen to you there, Sam. Uh, you know, a couple of notes I pointed out. I thought that was a, a really great point about recognizing you know, where you are, so you mentioned, you know, where you are at the minute, it's quite a small community area. If you're not doing well, people know about it. I had Damien McGrath on, who is the uh, head coach of Germany Rugby Sevens a week back, and he, he said a similar thing about his time in Samoa, and, and I, th- I think that's a really great point. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with with a lot of stuff you say there. I think, you know, when I speak to a lot of people from a, a uni background, they almost kind of think they've almost ahead of people that aren't there. And it's not, it's not the case because what you find is, you know, you mentioned mental models there and ex-players or people that haven't gone down this, this uni route probably have got a mental model. They're maybe just not conscious to it, but they've mm-hmm. certainly got that framework within their head that they're probably working on. And, you know, it, it, it's just such a, a fascinating conversation. And again, you know, these people that were, well, which is the best rate route to go and, and, and where do you want to get to? But, but no, certainly really interesting about, you know, the whole idea of, again, of capital and, you know, what I was doing in my understanding expertise route was, well, what's the best way to get capital and what capital matters in, in different places. So, for example, in Portugal and Holland, maybe they look a bit more towards the educational capital, whereas England, they're potentially more interested that, oh, you've been an extra player, so maybe you've got a bit more capital there that might get you a role. So, yeah, I mean, really, really, really fascinating stuff. So... You know, if I just move it on to this idea of, of social political goals, which again, I'm, I'm really intrigued to, uh, to hear about from you. And, and again, similarities and differences. Is the whole political standpoint to your experience in Canada, your experience in England, is it, is it again similar? Is it different? Is, you know, how, how have you found that? Similar, I'd say similar. I mean, there's, from a political standpoint, if we're talking about sort of educational institutes or health institutes making stipulation guidelines and so on that um, that obviously are going to impact the game and how they're developed and delivered because obviously sport is funded from a government standpoint because it allows players to be healthy and hopefully have healthy experiences within the game. So whether that be um, you know, tackling gender inequality, for example. So, so now more money is being put into the female game, which is wonderful to see. Uh, in, in the UK, is now really happening. Canada, that had happened a long time ago. Yeah. Um, again, we're talking about North America. We'll go to the US, but North America is the home of women's soccer. You know, it's, it, it's where it started, it, where it grew um, to the point of where it is now. Not where, it's, not where the game started, but where, the, where the, the, we went, okay, this is important. It's really important that we do that. So... For me, that's been a massively important piece. Um, I think from a from a standpoint of 
in in Canada is a lot of pay to play system, and it, that is what it is. You know, it, the facilities cost a lot. Mm. Um, hockey is the number one sport in Canada still. So if we talk about where the monetary benefits come in, um, they're going to probably get more. I don't have any stats on that, but I'm assuming they get a bit more in support there. Um, if we swing back to sort of that cultural capital, um, a lot of the time in, in, in Canada, obviously it's a sporting country, as is England, of course. Football is, is the be and end-all in England, where we obviously have rugby and cricket as well. But football, it, 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 I don't care what you're saying, rugby fans, I'm sorry. But football is the absolute upper echelon. Uh, I'm in Canada, so you can't get me. Um, but it's it, for in in Canada, it's it's still developing and evolving. You know, we have we have the Toronto Raptors, and I'm a, I'm a big basketball fan. But the Raptors obviously won um, the NBA championship last year, and you're going to see a massive uptick in players that want to play basketball because it's now been successful. They've one team in Canada, and they won it all. You know, and, and it's it's really really interesting to see that. Um, and there is a development of rugby now. Um, obviously, they have a, a Super League team in Toronto that are postponed for this season. But once if they start getting some success, then then I would imagine that the the, the likelihood of playing rugby is going to grow. And there is some there are people that play rugby uh, here as well, and that's going to grow too. Um, baseball, baseball is a big sport. So if the Blue Jays are doing well, you're going to see an uptick there too. And then TFC. So obviously TFC had a really successful season when they had Giovinco. Um, and when they won, again, won it all. Again, out of three teams in Canada, they won it all in the MLS. Um, Amazing. Again, it's it, it, it sort of, we went, wow, this, is, this could be something. Participation-wise, soccer is the most played sport in Canada. So when we think about, okay, well, the, the social political ideas of sport hopefully being there for everyone, it is a lot cheaper to play. Overall, it is a lot cheaper to play. So if you were just to play it in summer, getting a grass pitch and get, having some goals available and a few cones here and there, that's easy. That's easy to do. Whereas obviously something like uh, basketball, a little different, but you're still going to need a court time more than likely indoors for it to be regulation and so forth. And then hockey, you're going to need an ice rink and that's expensive. Um, so that is the problem. When you're playing in a performance environment in in Canada, when you're playing in a high-performance environment, then you've got to train all year. So, obviously, in the winter, it's cold and it snows, so you can't be outside. So, indoor facilities obviously have a huge impact on the programs that you run. So, having access to that and obviously the expense that that incurs um, is a big, I wouldn't say barrier, but it's a big element of the sport. Um, so, when it comes to, you might have... Um, players coming from environments that aren't as, um, you know, aren't as well off. So you, the, the beautiful thing of, of some of the leagues here and, and also some of the big charities um, is that they will help subsidise where possible. Um, and I know it's, again, a bit of a different environment in the UK, but I feel like it is getting there as well with the implementation of multiple 3G pitches um, private institutions um, starting to pop up. And I know they've just started to speak about the word academy and potentially eliminating that word if you're a private institution. Or maybe there'll be some checks and standards. I imagine that will happen. Um, because when you're in a part of an academy in England, it should be you don't pay unless it's an extra, you know, going to Holland or something like that. Mm. So I think that's where that, that's where we, we, ideally we get to that point in Canada, but we're just not there yet. And uh, it will be a while 
to be there. We have TFC, but TFC at the minute are the only academy in Ontario. Um, I think obviously we, they're the only, well, they're not the only professional team, but the new, the three professional teams are only a season old. So yeah. you've got, you've got Ford, York nine and now Atletico Ottawa that only started this year. Yeah. So the, 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 I'm sure one day there'll be a youth development environment where it can be cheaper and cost effective. But right now that's, that can't, that's probably at the back of their mind that, and all the other clubs are doing a good job of obviously helping develop those players at the minute. Um, you know, you've got Jonathan David that just signed for Lille for 30 million and he, he, he grew up in Ottawa. Um, so, and I don't know who he played for there, but it's, it's again, great to see another Canadian player go and play it at the highest level and or, or demand such a transfer fee. Um, I believe the highest ever paid for a Canadian player. So it's, it, it, there is lots of similarities in regards to the fact that sport is there to in, create um, positive environments for um, for individuals to develop, to develop as citizens of of the of the country, um, and that's how it should always start off with, and should always be present. So I think England and Canada hold both of those very true. I think then after that, um, I think there's obviously a lot of money um, in England in football. Um, obviously, the Premier League demands and commands a lot of power and money. Yeah. Um, and I know there's a lot of great initiatives that they've put in place I don't, um, in regards to helping grassroots football and so on. Um, but I, I do think with the, the I, and you need 3G, you need 3G, you need indoor facilities in the UK, you need more of them um, because you can't have two months that have been rained off um, every single season or as we were probably playing, we just played in complete mud and you had to kick it long. And you had to play that football because you couldn't dribble it. Um, so I think that's where there needed to be a change. And obviously Canada made that change um, because they had to. Otherwise, they would never play sport in the winter. Um, but now they're sort of incurring, this is what the costs are and this is how it is. And um, so whenever I get a new, especially a new family new to Canada, whether they be from the UK or South America, um, we have to explain that to them and say, you know, this is, this is why it does cost what it costs because yeah. there are indoor facilities and it does cost a bit and, and we do want to support you and we do want professional coaches with you and so on. Uh, so it's, it, it's, it's definitely different, definitely unique. Um, I think I'd imagine US is similar. I don't, I've never had any experience there, so I'd imagine it's similar. Um, but there, I think there is always a race to the bottom. There is always a race to the bottom, and I think some some institutions may sell that as a well, like you've got to get your kid in to do this, this, and this. Um, but I think again, I think Canada's led the way in regards to at least um, creating context-specific small-sided games for their younger athletes. Um, where they've had a grassroots standards for quite some time. And I saw one of the governing bodies in the UK just adapt their small-sided game policies. Um, and I would say that Ontario, Ontario soccer, at least, and I believe from, from Canada soccer, have been doing that for years. So the fact that they were willing to take that chance and change, when I know a lot of, of the other sports in Canada have sort of just started to undertake that. So, like, for example, in hockey, they've just started to undertake the, the half ice rule. So they're playing across ice instead of playing all the way. So you've not got this five-year-old going blindly. That's a big, that's a big way to the other goal. Um, so you know, you've now got that opportunity. But soccer did that here a long time, way before I got here. So you've got to take your hat off to those innovators at the time that when, you know what, this is clear to see, they need to be undertaking far more interactions and actions. So a, a 5v5 is going to do that far better than a 7v7 or 9v9. 
Um, so I think from that point of view, obviously, and obviously there are still parents that go, well, why can't they play the, the proper game? But if we're going to adultify youth sport, um, then th there's just no point of it. Uh, so, so the fact that they were doing that a long time ago, and I'm now seeing actually places where football is football driven, um, now starting to implement those changes. Um, I think that's very interesting. So maybe they could have taken that cultural elements out of it, or, or at least go, okay, it's going to be difficult for them. I spoke to some of them that had to implement it at the time, and some of those conversations were very difficult because it's change is tough, um, and especially when you're used to something for such a long period of time. And again, I remember being 11 years old playing 11 v 11. And again, if you had a lad that could strike on goal, he scored every time. Yeah. Um, but it was a long, long way to that goal. <laughs> so, whereas, and again, I always bring up this experience that my wife had playing in Canada as a young kid, and she played for a couple of seasons, and she didn't score a goal, ever. And I'm just like, isn't that appalling that a young child played and didn't score a goal? Um, so, I mean, I don't know how good she was. She might, she, maybe she was terrible. <laughs> um, but ideally we've got an opportunity to score to score a goal you know so whether you're starting a game where it's okay we're going to play a 3v3 game but there's six balls on the pitch to start with everyone's going to feel like that and that perceived level of and we can go back to capital that perceived level of performance is going to be some sort it could be an economic capital that's not economic in monetary forms but it's going to make them feel well, I can, I can go forward now. I can go and play. I can go. I, I scored in soccer, so I'm decent at soccer. I'm going to give it another go. Mm. Instead of that kid that goes, well, I haven't scored all season. I'm not. And it can develop other things, Sam. I'm not saying there's a, it's a positive for them to have so much success and so on and having to live through um, tough times and battle and, and come through adversity is absolutely vital as well. But remember, remembering that they're children and that should be a, a child, it should be a child-led experience. Um, so I think that's, that's where, I think Ontario's done a decent job. I, England did that a long time ago as well. Um, but I think it's important to understand that there was a big, big shift in cultural capital that had to, had to happen for that. Um, so the knowledge and information that we now have of what is appropriate for a youth development and then shifting some of that faux knowledge um, and going, well, no, 11 v 11, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're tactically or strategically going to be more efficient if they play that earlier. Um, I don't think there's any, any harm in changing game forms as well um, to create a variable um, learning platform for those players. So I think that's very, there's similarities um, and they're just in different stages of, of, their, of their development. And Canada, just, they have the opportunity to continually find themselves because for one, we're not under the not under the microscope as much as probably in England because there's not as much perceived um, perceived competence of well they're going to go and win World Cups. Whereas England, it's we should really be winning World Cups. It's only felt the last couple of tournaments where it's been like, well, no, we're probably not going to win it, and then we actually did all right. Yeah. Um, and whether that was a, a a lack of pressure, I don't think so. But um, I think it's important for for Canada now is they want to take those steps on that journey. So getting out of a group stage or winning a game, scoring a goal at the World Cup is their steps and that's where they are. So it's a different, it's different landscape in regards to that and what would be success. Um, and what, what, would, what symbolically, um, which is again another form of capital, what symbolically that means and represents to Canada because it does mean different things. It does mean different things. Seeing someone pull on the England top compared to maybe someone pulling on the, the Canadian top. For the culture of the country, that means something slightly different. For the individual, might feel the exact same. 
but for the culture of the country, seeing someone maybe pull on that jersey for the hockey team might feel a little bit more empowered. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating, Sam. Really, really, really fascinating. The Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam Holmshaw. I'm, I'm, I'm just a bit conscious of time and uh, well aware that I've took quite a bit of your time already. <laughs> Um, it's all good, mate. I'll, I'll, I'll move on to the uh, to the implications for coaching practice. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, you know, like I said, re- really, really fascinating to hear, and I know you've kind of gone into it quite a bit already. But you know, I'd, I'd be interested to hear your opinion, and again from your experience, why is it important for us as coaches to recognise capital? You know, recognise that idea, or or recognise these social political goals that that we're subjected to within our different contexts or environments that we find ourselves in it allows you to plan contextually i think that's the thing um so whenever you're planning for for your environment so if and i know we're going to talk about this a little bit so when 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 i delved into trying to create a performance model or an ideology an identity for for the club that i'm currently within it was important for me to understand the culture and the context of the region and the area. So for me, um, I, it, then I had to endeavour understanding what it meant to feel Ontarian to the grander scheme. So I actually found people that were from outside of Ontario, that lived in Ontario first, uh, and started to undertake some, some very informal conversations with them as to what it felt to now be Ontarian. And then I found those that lived in Ontario for their whole life and what that meant. So a lot, of the, a lot of what came up was when things went bad in Canada, Ontario went, that's okay, let's find a new solution. Let's find something else. Let's do something else. Manufacturing dried up. Okay, let's do something else. So they, they seem to have that, we will find a, we'll find a new, a new way, a new innovation. Yeah. So I thought, well, that's really interesting. I said, that's a really positive trait that we could probably start to build in sport. And I, I am a club called Waterloo United in Waterloo. Um, and as of 2018, I don't know the recent stats, but as of 2018, they had the second most startups in North America outside of Silicon Valley. So we go, okay, well, there's innovative people here, massively innovative people. So that's got to be a big pillar of, of, of our culture and our identity. And then the, the, the two other key components is it, it seems to be from, it seems to be a real mixing pot of people. There's a lot of different cultures, a lot of different areas of the city that are filled with different cultures. I thought, well, it's great that our name is Waterloo United because we can actually go, well, what are we actually united here? Let's unite cultures. Let's unite everyone together and actually say, this is what the culture is of Waterloo. And then the final pillar is the educational piece. We've got two massive universities in the city of the uh, University of Waterloo and Wilfrid Laurier. And then in the next city over, we have the University of Guelph. So, ed- and that, that doesn't include all the colleges as well. We have Conestoga College um, and a few others. So it, it's a huge city of innovation and education. So I went, okay, well, as the, as the province is fairly innovative, um, we're, we're a big cultural pot, so it shouldn't just be my, my ideas, it shouldn't be what I've taken from the master's course or what I've taken from England, mm. um, what I've taken from whoever. And it shouldn't be, obviously, I'm not the only person in the club with a technical director as well that have come from different backgrounds and so on. So it had to be an, uh, an amalgamation of these ideas and these concepts, and we had to have a rich understanding of why, why the culture was what it was um, before we move forward. So as I went to develop um, sort of the key principles that we were going to be working with it, 
uh, and the identity, I wanted to create a mission statement specifically for our U13 plus, because that's the key, tends to be the area that I work within. Um, but it should still go down and it might just need to be simplified a little bit more for the, for the younger, younger players um, without insulting their understanding as well. I think we do that a lot with younger players um, as, as a coaching profession. So the thing that we put together was we will work together to find innovative, intelligent and variable solutions to the problem that the game creates and affords. So for me, that was going to be if every single interaction, every single action had to lead back to that. So it didn't go, well, we're going to play a 4-3-3 and we're going to play possession and we're going to do this, this and this. That's not real life. And Sam, you can interview 20 coaches on this and say, what is your identity? And they're going to say, we're playing possession style football. We're going to do this, this and this. And then you watch them play and they don't do it. Um, it's, it's true. And I can't wait for someone to say, and I'm not going to be the guy either, but I can't wait for someone to say, I'm going to go route one, Kevin Davies, flick on, and that's all it is. Um, but again, that might embody, when we look back to that Bolton culture, it embodied the hardworking spirit of the area. Um, so maybe Big Sam had a really nailed on point and maybe he captured the culture within that and within the identity that he then, he then lived. So when I was then breaking it down and we've all done this again, so I'm not spouting like this is brand new information, but breaking it down into the four phases of the game um, without set pieces, not including set pieces at the minute. I then went, okay, well, we want to dominate with the ball, not dominate the ball, dominate with the ball. And I, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really careful on what words I utilise and we can talk about philosophy as well a bit later. Um, but I'm really careful what words, because someone will poke holes for it as well. Someone will read it and go, well, dominate the ball. What does that mean? Does that, does that mean tackle the ball? Does that mean have the ball a lot? So dominate with the ball. So can we create and find gaps? That's my first thing. In possession, can we create and find gaps? And then create and use superiority. So I don't say positional. I don't say numerical, just super superiority. So can we always find that? And then commitment to create, connect and score. Because at the end of the day, if you're not scoring goals, that's the preludiary goal of the game. We need to be able to score. Then when we went to transition, just to, again, try and make it as simple as possible, but know that every time we look at, at a session, at a game, this is ideally what we want to see. And Sam, we're not there yet. I tell you, we're not there yet. It's, it, this is a brand new, we talk, it took me two years to cre create and then we've had a, some changeover in technical style. So then it was important to get their ideas because then it enriched um, the experience. And we have a new technical director that started this year who has some unbelievable experiences as well. So it was really important that we needed to capture those ideas within it. So this is almost like the, the first draft that was released this year. But Sam, every single year I've, I've delivered something it's it's been completely adjusted yeah. because I've gained new knowledge, contextual yeah. knowledge, yeah. Um, which is really important. So the transition would be secure or score, regain or destroy. So if it's not on to score, because every transition should be, is it on to score? If not, well, then we're going to try and secure the ball and move back to our in possession state, which I'm pretty sure everyone will say that. And then transition, regain or destroy. So if we can't destroy the attack as early as possible, we would, we would ideally attempt to regain it as quick as possible, but maybe in a later phase of the game, therefore we need to eliminate spaces. Out of possession, destroy attacks early, destroy space and gaps, and then recover collectively and effectively. So when I mentioned that United feel uh, and that commitment to different um, cultures, people coming together, Collective, collective and commitment were really important to me. So it's like collectively, can we be committed to one another? Collectively, can we commit? And I'm not talking about the players that we want to develop because that's a complete another document. And it's all well and good that I've got this 
written on paper and I am reading it off the paper, but it's got to be lived. It's got to be lived. Yeah. Um, and we can all fall off that wagon at times. Yeah. And I think it's okay to, it's okay to fall off the wagon if you can get back on it pretty quickly uh, and that you understand why it maybe happened and what were the, what were the pressures and the perceived pressures. So I can tell you when we go back to maybe what the parents hold as capital, um, especially um, information or educational capital in regards to soccer in the province, they're obviously paying a lot of money to be involved. So that, that can then be a perceived pressure that the coaches then hold. You know, is that what, what are they expecting to see from me? And uh, that creeps up in my mind all the time. Um, and, and it's hard for it not to. It's hard for it not to. So I think it's important for us to, to understand that these pressures might, might creep up on us and we need to we need to have an understanding as to as to when to when when you've seen or felt that bias creep in and try and create some opportunities to destroy those thoughts and feelings because we know most of the times they're unhealthy the sports coaching podcast with sam holmshaw yeah no fascinating and you you probably saw me smiling and eyes because I, i love these type of conversations this is, you know, this is definitely my favourite module on the Masters course. But, you know, what I find really interesting there is, and, and I don't know if to show that you at, at your time on the Masters, but when we were learning of this, and obviously I'd done it the year before in, in third year in the undergraduate course, but what they showed us was it was a university men's basketball team. And I, and I couldn't tell you the name of the team. I can't remember the top of my head, but it, the whole idea was around this word of havoc. I don't know if you've seen it, but everything was about creating havoc. So it was like, you know, uh, so much pressure because we're causing havoc. We attack as one, we defend as one. And it was unbelievable. And, and what I realised is from third year to the Masters, in third year, I'd, bought the, I'd, I'd, I'd built up at the time what I thought was this unbelievable playing style that was successful, would work with the team I'd had. I thought I'd considered it well. And then I presented it to this group of under-15s. But it wasn't for them because it didn't want consider too much of the context but also the culture and you know and I'll, and I'll not mention the club and I'll not mention the coach but I've seen it before with a couple other coaches where they're coming in with these fresh ideas and you know how they want to play and, and their play model or game model etc but they haven't considered that culture and I you know you mentioned Bolton as well I, I think that's fascinating and it's something that you know me going into this women's team now you know, if you consider why they're there, well, ultimately it's an amateur club and everyone wants to have a good game, go to the pub after and have a couple of pints. You know, that's the culture. So how do I pull that into the game? Predominantly, they want to work hard and have fun. So that then influences my style of play, should be saying. And, and uh, you know, I just find it really fascinating. And I think it's, you know, you, you, you mentioned about everything will be okay. I, I think that's fantastic how you've built that into, into your play model. And I was on uh, I was on a, a different podcast a few weeks back, and I was trying to you know explain these game models, and they're quite trendy at the minute. Everyone seems to have one, but they don't understand like you said about when you gain that new knowledge, contextual knowledge. That's when it might change because ultimately, when we're building these models, we only have a certain amount of knowledge at a certain amount of time, and as that more knowledge comes in, then we have to update it or contextualize it or change it slightly here and. Now you said different drafts, you know, just, just, just really fascinating and really almost pleasing, you know, why I'm sat here smiling because I've obviously gone through this this year. So to hear your experience of how you're implementing that, I think it's fascinating. 
No, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you're feeling the same. And I think, I think for me, it was what we did in, in the first day, the first day on the understanding, analyzing sport performance module was we created a technical, tactical, mental model for mountaineering. And I don't know if you did the same you did. Um, and that was, that was so interesting to me because I was like, for one, I didn't know it was a sport. So that, and then it obviously define what a sport is and so forth. And they, that for me, again, it was, it was really interesting. Um, and that's where it went, you know, like you just mentioned game model, it does seem to be really trendy at the minute. And um, that's clearly where it started. And there's a lot of research from the nineties on, on developing a performance model and developing mental models. Um, mental models haven't been rigorously tested in sporting contexts. In business, military, they have mm. um, in, in regards to an acad academic um, point of view, but there are some phenomenal studies on it um, and how it's been implemented in single context. I think if they can capture, if someone's got the time to do a, a, a contextual analysis of mental models or performance models being implemented, such as that basketball team and the havoc idea, um, if they could capture that and go, okay, this is how this worked, this is how this worked, and here were some of the key pillars, man, that would be a really interesting study. But I think for me, that first little introduction to creating one was, um, it was just so interesting because it, it just, it, me and who, I can't remember who I was sitting with now. I think it was Chris, Chris, um, I can't that? remember now. No, it was um, rugby coach, Stafford. Chris, oh, yeah, um, so yeah. yeah. So we were sitting together and we were talking about it and just all these questions and, and what and uh, what Andy, Andy Abraham basically, basically made us do. And again, he knew he does he does this really well he, he creates uncertainty all the time um and he's fantastic at that and i i owe so much to andy and, and so many bob muir and, and dave alder and, and and jamie Porton. they did all the same things in regards to that um dave piggott um they're all unbelievable coach educators but i remember him being like you know the person sitting next to you is an alien they come down they don't know sport they don't know this so all these questions that um that chris was asking me um it was just wonderful because i started straight away going if he was asking me these questions about football what would my answers be yeah. and how embarrassed would i be because i wouldn't have answers to it yeah. um and, and that's how it should be so that's where i started to go okay well i want answers to all these questions i want answers to all these questions okay so we had all the demands of the game we spoke about all of this and and so on i had all these the performance issues that are caused by the rules of the game so therefore and it, i mean how silly is it that i hadn't really really thought that well, of course, the, the state of the game is going to alter how you perform. I hadn't really gone into that. Yeah, I've done scenarios with my training sessions. I'm like, if we're 1-0 down, I want to do this. But it's going to also alter the affordances due to the psychological pressures and stresses of certain individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also understanding the affordances of your teammates and what that can afford you. And I kept bringing up, this is, but I kept bringing up the idea of Zlatan Ibrahimovic and like the, um, the physiological affordances that he would actually owe his teammates so if I was playing on a team with him, I'd go, well, I'm, I can play a slightly longer pass, slightly further outside of his body because of his judo influences. He'd be able to jump, get his foot up and bring it down. Yeah. So that actually affects the affordances that I have. So as a, as a, as a collective coach, if I'm yeah. going, okay, well, yeah. what do I do now to get a player that can actually bring that out? Do I want to bring it out? And, you know, because I can now. Um, so that, that's what certain, at that level, those players can 
can alter what you do as a, as a performance. But then I started to go into the, you know, the, the, the game, um, obviously the, what would then be a game model? I still use a term performance model. I think it encaptures culture better. Yeah. A game model for me is like, it's just, it's just the game. Um, so if you've got a game model, then a performance model over the top or an overview model, then that's fine. Um, but I think it was important for me to then go, okay, well, if it switched to this at any point in time, at these points, these points, these points, what did it look like? And that document was gargantuan. Um, and again, when I left the, uh, probably the same as you, Sam, when I left third year, I remember, and this is what ego I had on myself here. I remember going to my coaching colleague at Hull City, who's now at Leeds and he's a tremendous, tremendous guy. Um, and I said, I think I've got the answers to football. I remember saying that. And I remember saying, I think I've got the answer. I said, I think I've got it. Like, I think I've got, I, I, I get a lot. I've got this document. I think if we, if you did all this and you followed these moments, like it, it would work and pretty much anywhere and anywhere. And like, I, I remember, I remember then sort of trying to then go, okay, well now I've been tasked to put it into a context and straight away I went, okay. So I did it for a university. I knew I was moving to Canada in, in my year at the master's degree. So I was like, okay, I want it. I want to work in a university environment. So I'm going to create it for that. Then all of a sudden I was like, okay, well, what were the mission statements of the school? Okay, what does the school want to achieve? Because that's a big, big thing right now. Okay, how does that look into the context? So I started to go, okay, boom, that, that's going to change things. That's going to change how I, how I communicate, how I implement. Um, obviously, I didn't even know any of the individuals at that time. And once you know the individuals, you know that you're going to have to communicate slightly differently. You might have to plan slightly differently. Yeah. Um, I've got a group at the moment um, that they probably won't hit see or hear this, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but I've got a group at the moment that I know if if it is if it's fun and fun and engaging like eighty percent of the time and they're a high performance group, then I've got them. I've got their buy-in. Yeah. But fun and engaging where I'm not too worried if they get a little silly at times, that will that gets them. But I've missed I've misjudged that at times. You know, and I've misjudged that. And and I said on I've done one one other podcast um not that long ago where I mentioned that you know, obviously I've got this performance model, I've got this idea, we've got this culture, we've got this, you know, obviously I plan microcycles in relation to that. And we started to do this warm-up activity. They'd done their generic warm-up and then they'd gone into a warm-up activity and they loved it so much that I was like, if I change it right now, I'm changing it for me and not for them. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I've got this beautiful session plan that's going to bring out all these ideas. <laughs> um, but it, does, it didn't matter. It didn't matter at that point. And we ended up doing, we, we just adjusted it, adapted it. And I asked them how they wanted to adapt it and adjust it. And they had some excellent ideas as well. Um, and I think that for me, um, when you're developing a mental model or, or, or a performance model, and you're trying to place it within a culture, it's really important for you to drop, drop your ego out the door um, and, and just be open to, to feedback from your players. And I saw, I know Sam, that you put out, um, that when you started yours, you put out a, a survey. Um, which is really interesting because in my first year at University of York, one of the players I sort of had a captain that did it for me, uh, and it was really eye-opening. And for one, it actually made me feel really good because there was a lot of positive stuff in there. So that made me feel really good. And this was more of a review than a beforehand uh, by a player meetings instead. I think the way you did it, you're moving even we're moving forward now in being more innovative. Um, but it, I knew exactly what they wanted. I knew exactly what they wanted from the coach. I knew what was bad from the, from the previous coach or what they didn't like. The coach might have been great, but what they didn't like. Um, and and I, knew, I knew what they wanted from a culture and we were excellent that first year. Um, and then one of, the, one of the studies I did, or sorry, one of the assignments I did on the course was um, an appreciative analysis. Uh, I don't know if you did it. 
I don't know if you did an appreciative inquiry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I did that um, and, and it was really interesting to see from year one to year two. And my appreciative inquiry was, it was one sort of catch, catching myself being a poor coach, um, but doing it quick enough to be able to change. And then what I did to change it. Um, because I went from my first year uh, into the second year at the University of York and I was like, well, things went really well. We got promoted um, and bearing in mind I had great players. Um, we got promoted and so I'm like, well, nothing's going to change. Why would I change anything? Yeah. But what I hadn't taken into consideration, obviously I had, but not really, that five of the players had left and we got five new ones in. We had yeah. two players coming from the, the twos that are now coming up to the first team. Um, and I didn't really change anything at all, if I'm honest. Um, so I remember the first couple of games, obviously we've been promoted. Now we're playing teams that are way, way better. And first couple of games are bad. You know, we, we're losing big. And it's like, well, what, what's happened here? And I'm starting to get frustrated. I'm putting more hours into the wrong things. So I'm starting to do all this pre-match tactical implementation, this sending there. And they're, they're like, Sam, we've got university. We can't, I, can't, I, I can't be doing all this. I can't be taking in all this information right now. So I'm getting frustrated. I'm going, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do that then if you're not going to be doing this. Yeah. And, and I took, then I finally took a step back and like, crap, I don't know what they want. Yeah. I don't know what they want from this. I don't know. I don't really know them. Yeah. So as soon as, as soon as that clicked and I, I went, okay, I've done a bad job. It's me. It's my fault. Um, so we started to have individual meetings, unit meetings, reframed the season. What do we want to look for? Ends up being the most successful season they've ever had, you know, as a, as a club. Um, and I don't think it's just because of that moment because we have some unbelievable individuals that have gone on to do big things in, in, in their personal life and footballing life. Um, but man, it, what a learning experience that was. So it's okay for you to be, I mean, if there's any younger coaches or those that are still, um, still learning their trade, or as we all are, but if, you, if you're just starting out, it's okay to sort of ask the players, you know, how did that go? What did you think of that? Because yeah. again, I've done that before and Sam, you've probably done it where you've asked them and thinking, I'm going to get, yeah, loved it. Yeah. Oh, I didn't like that one. Uh, I, I, was stuck, I was stuck here and I couldn't recover. And you're like, oh yeah, you were. You were and you, you couldn't come in. And yeah. so I, I, I've done it before. And sometimes you can reframe how you communicate it. So if you've got a neutral that's not going to see too much of the ball, reframe it as this is your rest period for 90 seconds. And um, that can adjust how, how people see, see what you're doing and why you're doing it. But making sure the players are engaged in, in any sort of learning structure or environment that you're creating is such a, such, so vital. They're the most important piece. Um, and if you don't have that inbuilt, into your seasonal macro meso planning you're probably doing an injustice to your to your to yourself actually not even just to your players but to yourself because of how successful to how successful you could be and as someone that's had experience in it but i'm still learning a lot all the time i get it wrong all the time yeah all the time and i'm trying to get it wrong less and less and less because that would be effective but even I heard Greg Vanny, who's the head coach of TFC, Toronto FC. Um, I heard, I'm sorry, I heard Tim Bezpachenko, who was the general manager, talking about a conversation he'd had with, with um, Greg Vanny. And it, it, he would say, well, I didn't really like how the session went today. And it's like, if they can say it at that level, why can't we say it? Why, why can't we say it now and, and, and come forth? And I worked with, when I was on the Masters, I worked with undergraduate students um, on their coaching practice. Oh, and there might be a coaching pedagogy uh, when, they, when they went into schools and, and they undertook. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. The internship. Yeah. And, and it was so good to see. And, and I'd say 90% of the students were so open and willing to get into these great conversations. And I think it's a testament to the course developers, designers and implementers that they've been able to create these. Obviously, there's people that didn't want to be there as well. And you saw you yeah. would have seen that, too. Yeah. Um, but but the, the people that did like the, the, the conversations we had um, and the way that they would deliver PE lessons, because most of the time it was PE, which again was new to me. I remember when I was in that third year and second year delivering PE sessions of sports yeah. I didn't know. Again, yeah. another great learning opportunity and, and, and delivering with other people as another great learning opportunity. So um, I can't say enough positive things about the course, in, in, in my opinion, and, and how it's, it's framed my development. I know this has sort of come a bit full circle, but it's, it's just, it was such an unbelievable experience. And, and I would, I would say to anyone go go and do it. And I've said to people that have gone and done it, and they've just some of them some of them have just completed their third year um, of the undergraduate of some younger coaches that I've, I've worked with that are just phenomenal coaches now already. Um, that have, you know, for one, keeps me on my toes and thinks, blimey, these next generation of coaches are unbelievable. I'm seeing some of the analysis undertaken by 19 year olds that are blowing my socks off and um so i know that i've got to keep on top of my game and continue to develop because uh, at 27 i always thought oh well, I'm, I'm young and i've done all this and it won't for, for, it won't be much longer until they're 22 years old and they've done every qualification in the book yeah. um and they're already working in professional games so i think that that idea of educational capital is changing um but that could also be internships and so on and i think seeing people still willing to undertake internships and learn um, we've had some um, Charlie Mitchell that was on my course. He's at Paphos now. Um, what what a wonderful um, what a wonderful idea that is for him because he went and worked with Leeds United in, in his. And I know how busy he was. And man, oh man, was he busy! But look at where it's landed him now. He worked for years with the FAW, and now he's with Paphos um, with the first team. And a terrific individual as well. You know, so you've got to have some of those um, social characteristics and um, that, that continual drive and commitment to, to better yourself, better your understanding um, of your context, of your sport, of the individuals that you're working with. Um, but there's been just some fantastic people that I've come into contact with, that I'm still in contact with now and that are still you know, congratulating me on my successes and challenging me on, on, on what I should do next and so on. So, yeah, I, I mean, I can't speak it. Uh, any more highly than than some of the people that I've got a chance to work with at Leeds Beckett, and now I get a chance to meet yourself because of it. Um, so it's still evolving and continuing. So another wonderful experience, and I've enjoyed the conversation today, Sam. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You you make some great points there. And, um, again, just conscious of time, so I'm just going to go over a few. But you, you, you're so right in the sense of, you know, I think there's a culture here, and. You know, I've, I've been in that internship role myself this year, going around seeing the second and third years. They're always so pressured to get everything right. And ultimately, as a coach, you're not going to get everything right. I say it to my players all the time. I said, I've got that much going on in my head. I need your feedback because ultimately, there's going to be some things in this session that I'll have just not noticed because I'm thinking all about this or this or this. And yeah, yeah you, you, I, I, I just think you're, you're really right. We have to really you know i say this to coaches all the time just think about it's not about your ego i was exactly the same last year you know oh i know everything now about football i've done this mental model i've got it then i got on that masters and it's like well can you explain in its simplest form uh well actually no i can't there's actually a bit more i do need to know and it took That's me a exact long feedback time. i got sam yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. It, it took me a long time to realize 
it's not about me. It's actually about my players and I'm really just there to provide a service to develop players and develop people. And no, listen, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed having you on today. So it's such a, such an enjoyable discussion and, and really enjoyable just listening to your experiences and your thoughts. Uh, so, you know, listen, thank you so much for your time, but for anyone that's, that's listening and, you know, might want to just, I don't know, speak to you or follow you and just hear a bit more about your journey. What's best to contact you or, or follow you on social media? I think you follow me on Twitter, just at Sam Javot. Um, but yeah, if you, if you want to reach out, more than happy for you to reach out to just me at my email address at sam at waterloounited.com. Uh, if you have any coaching questions or, or thoughts or any, you want to know anything more about just my understanding of the Canadian cultural elements, because obviously you could interview a Canadian coach that might have a very, very different understanding. This is sort of my look from an, uh, uh, still a newcomer and a, um, someone from outside the context. So I think that would be an interesting an interesting one to get maybe a Canadian coach to see if they say, say anything different and say that everything I said was a load of baloney. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, anyone can reach out. I'm more than happy to, um, more than happy to help wherever I can, if I can. And I'm more than happy to be challenged as well. I think that for me, I'm, I feel odd, honestly, Sam. I still feel odd saying that I'm I'm here. I can help, and I'm, I'm, because yeah. I feel like I still have so much to explore yeah. uh, and understand. So I, I always try and lean on those people and people that younger, older doesn't matter, you know, to 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 learn. But more than happy to start a conversation wherever possible. Yeah, yeah, uh, brilliant, Sam. Uh, just just leaves me to say thank you so much for your time. Uh, yeah, bit of a shaky start at the start, but uh, we, we got there in the end and had a and had a marvelous conversation. So Sam, thank you so much for your time, and and thanks once again for everyone that's listened. Uh, hope you found it uh, an enjoyable discussion as much as I have. And you know, like Sam says, any questions, get in touch with him, and feel free to get get in touch with me. So again, thanks so much for your time, Sam. Thanks for your time, and uh, we'll see everyone next week. Cheers, Sam.